Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading today is from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 10 through 18, which you will find in the New Testament section of our Pew Bibles on page 209 or on screen. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hebrews 2, verse 10. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sacrifices and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels, but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, and he is able to help those who are being tested. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, thanks be to God indeed. I want to, before I share my, my thoughts around our, our text this morning, this very rich text that we have, I want to remind you, and it's in your bulletin, there's an insert in your bulletin, I hope you take a moment to look at that. In fact, what would be nice is if you would take that home and put it somewhere to remind you, coming up in January, we have these two amazing classes that will be offered here at our church and uh, one of them is going to be taught by John Malk, and it's on the book of Hebrews. And it's all about understanding the Jewishness of our faith. The second class is also going to be taught by Dr. K.K. Yo, who is a New Testament scholar, teaches at Northwestern, and writes voluminously about the New Testament. He will also be teaching a class on how to read the Bible. How to read the Bible. And uh, I hope that you will look at 2023, a new year, as an opportunity 
to go deeper and to go farther in your engagement with Scripture, and these two classes will help you to accomplish that. And here's why that's so important. This is one of my favorite passages from the book of Colossians. And it talks about taking off the old self with its old nature and its old practices. Paul is telling us that through Christ that has happened. And then he says in the very next verse, and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. And you say, well, what kind of knowledge? I think he's talking about the knowledge that comes through God's word. And this is a choice that you and I can make. We're being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And so what I say repeatedly, I practice it in my own life, I encourage my children, and I want to encourage God's children that spiritual growth and transformation, it's not a given, it's a choice. And it comes through regular engagement with God's word. And today's reading, I think, is just one of those wonderful examples of the scripture's power to renew us, to strengthen us, to encourage us as we start a new year and as we seek to follow Jesus Christ. If you're going to join that class on Hebrews, I would encourage you, even now, you could pick up your Bible and start reading those 13 chapters in the book of Hebrews. Because I think what you'll find is that the book of Hebrews gives us this big, big, glorious picture of who Jesus is. For example, in the text that we heard just read, we're told that Jesus is the pioneer of salvation. Now, that's a rich word. Who is a pioneer? A pioneer is a title that not too many people will have in this life. It means you're a trailblazer. It means you are breaking through in some area that no one has ever achieved. And so when I think about pioneer, pioneering, I think about people like, and you know who these people are, Orville and Wilbur Wright, pioneers in flight. I think about, think about Neil Armstrong, first to walk on the moon. You know who this is, right? Who's this? Thurgood Marshall first African-American to sit on the Supreme Court bench. How about this lady? You know who that is? Sandra Day, first woman to sit on the Supreme Court. And how many of you know this lady? That's a tough one, isn't it? But she's a pioneer in medicine. Her name is Virginia Apgar. And when our little babies were being born, the nurses told us, Mr. Hilton, Mrs. Hilton, the Apgar scores are great. Judine is doing great. Almost two years later, Ray is doing great. And then surprise, many years later, Joel's doing great. Virginia Apgar. I thank God for this woman, a pioneer in medicine, who helped doctors and obstetricians and nurses understand those first one minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes after birth, 
tell a lot about the viability and the health of the child, and her pioneering work has saved the lives of millions of newborns. But here we are on the first day, the first Sunday of 2023, and I'm excited, and I hope you're excited to be thinking about an even greater pioneer, a pioneer who eclipses anything that we could ever do on this earth in this life, and that is Jesus, our Messiah. He is called the pioneer of our salvation. Why is Jesus called a pioneer? What was so pioneering about the work of Jesus? And that's why I want you to read the book of Hebrews, because in the book of Hebrews, Jesus, our pioneer, does something that no one else has been able to do. In fact, what Jesus did, people in the first century found it contemptible. They couldn't believe the claims that were being made about Jesus, that he took on human flesh, God coming to earth, putting on human flesh, becoming like us in order to save us. And so the notion that Jesus is our crucified Lord was a scandalous thing to say in the first century. So here is the central verse that troubles so many people, where the writer says that it was fitting. And that word fitting means it was appropriate, it was right, that God... And I love this line. It's the same line that you see in Romans 11. That God for whom and through whom all things exist, this God had this love and this desire to bring many children to glory. To glory means to salvation, that this was in the heart of God. That God should make the pioneer of their salvation suffer perfect through suffering. And that idea of suffering is completing, perfect, completing the work of God through death on the cross. It's not that Jesus was imperfect and needed to be made perfect, but the idea of being made perfect, it's the idea of completing the work of salvation by his death on the cross. And people said, no, that can't be. That doesn't make sense. It sounds like child abuse. Why does God need his son to die on the cross to bring us into salvation? Why couldn't God just do it? And then you've got to read the book of Hebrews to find the answer to that question. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, and he tackled the same scandalous thought where he said that God decided... Just like the text here, God decided through the foolishness of our preaching, the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. Jews do what? Jews demand signs, Greek desire wisdom, and then he says this, but we, we proclaim Christ crucified. There it is. A stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. People didn't want to hear that. Christians were ridiculed, they were persecuted for believing that God entered the human sphere, human existence, and endured the agony and the suffering on the cross to save sinful humanity. The gods would do that. Similar roadblock, though, is right here in our time, 21st century church, when we talk about Jesus, we say we would then agree 
that Jesus is the one pioneer of salvation. And the pushback that we get is, come on, come on, you narrow-minded Christians. We live in a religiously eclectic world where all these religions have a piece of the truth and all these religions are on a road that will ultimately lead to the same God. So why are you being so particular? Why are you being so narrow? And then you add insult to injury. And Christians today are afraid to quote John 14 and verse 6. We are afraid to quote it, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's a pioneer. It means that he saves in ways that other religious expressions fall short. So which is it? All roads lead to God, or is Jesus the door to God? And that's the question we've got to answer and think about and respond to. And so our text then asks us to, to reaffirm, reaffirm what Jesus, our pioneer, accomplished. And before we come to the communion table, let's just remind ourselves what Jesus, our pioneer, accomplished. Jesus in his pioneering work, created access to God. Access to God. Through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. If you read it, you'll find it there. We have confidence to enter the sanctuary. It means to enter the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. And that's why I want to encourage you to read the book of Hebrews. Because when you read that book, you're going to meet Jesus and he's going to be bigger than the cultural Jesus. It's going to be this Jesus that you will gladly worship, the songs that we were singing. This Jesus who deserves all of our devotion. This Jesus to whom we surrender, as we heard in that hymn, we cast our crowns before him. This is this, this magnificent view of Jesus that you will find in the book of Hebrews. What is so special about Jesus' pioneering work? Because Jesus is the one who makes us holy. Notice what it says in the text again. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father, and for this reason Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The word, therefore, sanctify is the word hagiazo. It means to set apart for holy use set apart for holy purposes, to be dedicated, to be consecrated for a special use. Jesus is the only one. And you can go back and read the Old Testament. And year after year, the people of God had to come and sort of re-up through the animal sacrifice so that their sins can be forgiven. Jesus goes all the way through his life and he sanctifies us, he makes us holy. His third pioneering work in our text is that because of Jesus, we have victory over death and the devil. And I love this passage. We said it in our prayer of confession, didn't we? Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself, likewise shared the same things. 
So when we think about Jesus, we're not talking just of a moral example. When we think about Jesus, we're not talking about some kind of Marxist prophet. When we think about Jesus, we're not talking about a template where we go out and live this kind of, this as an activist. No, 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 no. That's a small Jesus. When we think about Jesus, we're talking about someone who defeats death through his death and who defeats the power of death through his death and his resurrection. He destroyed the one who has the power of death. Death is a problem, isn't it? Can't escape it. We're all on that path. It's a universal reality. It's going to come to the one who sits in the White House. It's going to come to the one who sits as the Pope. It's going to come to the greatest athlete, the greatest musician, the greatest singer. Doesn't matter who you are. Somebody called it the great leveler. And what we've got to ask ourselves is what happens when you die? Somebody asked Woody Allen that question. And Woody Allen says, I don't want to be immortal through my work. I want to be immortal by just keeping on and keep living. Nobody gets to escape that. Sorry, Woody Allen. As Christians, though, we approach the reality of death, and we say that death is temporary. Why do we say that? Because of our pioneer. Buried on the third day, Buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. So we, have, we don't have to fear death. One of the songs I love to sing with all of you, and we've sung it many, 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 many times in our church, that last verse of that great song, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever, ever pluck me, pluck you, pluck us from the hand of God till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand Yes, we're going to die, but death doesn't have the final word. I love what the writer says, and we didn't read this verse, but he says, but we see Jesus. That's why we don't have to fear death. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, but he's now crowned with glory and honor because, do you see that? He suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That's why we don't fear it. That's why the power of fear and the power that the devil has is broken. The last thing, according to our text, that Jesus is pioneering, it's that Jesus is our advocate and he's our helper. And I love this verse, verse 17 and 18. Therefore, Jesus had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make a sacrifice 
of atonement for the sins of the people. But what does that do? What does that allow Jesus to do then? Because he himself suffered, he was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help us. Jesus is able to help you. And one of the problems we have is that our Jesus is too small. When we are in hardships, when we are in difficulties, we've got to remember Jesus knows about our struggles, and so we turn to him. For many of us, our knee-jerk reaction is to fight, to complain, to moan, to groan, to talk to everybody in the universe instead of talking to Jesus. Jesus will help us. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It is simply about Jesus. Jesus is here to help. I don't know what you went through, and I agree with Mr. Jim. We don't want to forget last year. If you made some huge mistakes last year, bring them back to your memory and say, why did I do that? How can I learn from that? Bring back 22 and review it as you go into 23 and remind yourself that Jesus is here to help us. He's walked in our shoes. He's our pioneer. He started a new covenant. He has put his words within our hearts. He's planning to bring new heavens and new earth. Jesus is our final sacrifice. We don't need to, we can't save ourselves. We can't wash away our sins. We can't change our circumstances by ourselves. We must look to Jesus. And as we come to the communion table, brothers and sisters, I want to close with that wonderful verse at the end of chapter 12 of Hebrews. Let us therefore, let us therefore run with perseverance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And that word shows up again. He's the pioneer. He's the leader. He's the architect. He is the perfecter. He is the maker of our faith. Jesus will help you. When I was studying for the theology exams for my ordination, I had to read the confessions. At that time, we had 10 confessions. We have 11 now. And I remember reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, and I'd never seen this before. And it stayed with me and continues to stay with me. Heidelberg Catechism asks this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? How would you answer that? What's your comfort? And the answer is, and let me read it for you, that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil. And so he preserves me, that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Now, I, I lost all of mine. All of mine fell from my head. But God knows every one of them that fell. <laughs> and that 
all things, all things must work together for my salvation. And so by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live for him. Jesus in the American church is too small. We need to enlarge our vision. And I ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? We just celebrated his birth. And as we walk through this year, we're going to celebrate his life. And as we get into Lent, we're going to celebrate his agony and his suffering and his death. And on Easter, we'll celebrate his resurrection. All through 2023, we're going to follow the life of Jesus and remind ourselves that Jesus is here as our Savior. He became one of us to save us. Do you know him? Have you confessed your sin? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you surrendered your life to his lordship and his leadership? If you haven't done that yet, I want to invite you to begin to explore what that means to follow Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the people of God say, Amen and Amen.